From Relay FM, this is Connected, episode number 42. Today's show is brought to you by lynda.com, where you can instantly stream thousands of courses created by industry experts, Hover, Simplified Domain Management, and OmniFocus. Now, on the Apple Watch. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hello, Stephen Hackett. Hello, Michael Hurley. How are you? I'm uh, I'm doing well. I should um, just start the show with a thank you to my wife. It is our wedding anniversary, and I am here recording a podcast with you instead of on a date with her. So uh, she gets a high five from the Connected Nation, connect the international Connected fan base. Thank you, Miss Hackett. Yes, but uh, we're we're without Federico this week. No, yes, as we should have mentioned that as well. We do have no Federico. It's just just me and Stephen. However, yes. we do have another accent joining us a little bit later on. Federico's on the beach for a uh, little bit of a holiday, so uh, he's having fun fun in the sun, as the kids say. I think it's was it Republic Day or something. Yes, it's when Italy won its independence from the British. I don't think that is. I don't think that's how that works. Let's not, you know, if we want to start talking about empires, you want to look at the Roman Empire, and yeah, we can go down that whole route if you want to. Yeah, really, everybody is is gained their freedom from Federico's people, is what you're saying. <laughs> Effectively, yeah. Uh, we should move on. <laughs> um, so we're gonna do some uh, some follow up. So, uh, uh, friend of the, I'm gonna say friend of the network because I can do that. Uh, friend Don't. of the network. <laughs> You say don't. <laughs> uh, Jamie Phelps, uh, JXPX777. 1138. That's a different movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, wrote on his web blog about his Sony Ericsson T637. Oh, look at that bad boy. Yeah, I remember. Do you remember these phones? They were they were awesome. A friend of mine had one, and I was super jealous. Um, uh, so he writes on his blog about us talking about someone else's idea of calendar-based do not disturb. So if you remember this from a couple weeks ago, the the general idea is that if I'm in a meeting, my phone should know that because of a calendar invite and it should put itself in do not disturb, you know, if I set it up to do so. And uh, turns out these uh, Sony Ericsson phones uh, did this way back in the day. So um, not necessarily a new idea, but I still think it's a really good idea. What, uh, what do you think? Do you still want this? I do still want that idea. Um, I used to have a phone that was kind of like this. Um, I had like a Sony Ericsson Walkman phone. It was my last phone before uh, I got a, an iPhone, before the iPhone came out. And it was black and orange. Uh, and it had the, I don't know how, I don't know why they called it a Walkman phone. You could put music on it. Like you could put music on basically any phone at that point. Right. Like the, the rocker kind of brought that into into being a little bit well we had more we had phones here that could do that stuff before that 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 was just you could plug that thing into itunes like that's right there was like i had some sony software that i could basically put music onto my uh onto my sony walkman phone i used to do it It had radio on it and stuff as well you know it was it was pretty it was pretty cool if if people want to see a link to uh, JXPX777's blog post, where could they go, Mike? Oh, they could go to relay.fm slash connected slash 42. I, uh, the sound you heard was Mike scrolling back to the top of the document to see what episode number this is. <laughs> it was actually, uh, I, I swiped uh, to the left with a forefinger gesture to go back to the CMS to see it in big bold text. 
Nice. That's um that's a life hack that only really a handful of us can do. Mm-hmm. Uh so we have some um we have some nose tapping follow up and Not like sure. the browser history and like many other things over the 3 years of of us doing a show together uh I am implementing a end of nose tapping follow up. I am I am instigating the re- reincarnation of the nose tapping follow up uh, right now. <laughs> dang it. So short lived. So um uh Peter wrote in and and Peter apparently lives where does he say? In Michigan, I think. So Michigan is in the very North part of the country where it touches Canada. It's very cold. Uh, they have like, uh, I don't know, like moose walking around. Uh, lots of snow and ice. Un- un- very unlike the weather we have here that's hot. Very unlike the weather that you have in London, which is, I think, just wet all the time. So, uh, Peter writes in to say, I've been nose tapping uh, on the iPhone since day one, and so has everyone around me. Because when you're outside during, <laughs> I love this, eternal Michigan winter, you have to keep your gloves on. It's not new with the Apple Watch, and it's not weird. Um, and he said he was frustrated with us for not thinking about this. And uh, I would like to apologize to the people of Michigan and really all winter states. But, uh, you know, if it's 10 degrees out, like he says it is, then I think I would probably nose tap, too, if it, if it came down to it. Better than, than taking a glove off to take care of something something simple, I suppose. So I, I think, Mike, I think what you're going to need to do is uh, we're going to need to put one of us in like some sort of large like a meat freezer and see if you're more prone to nose tap under cold conditions. Uh, I will nose tap under all conditions, my friend. Well, you're conditions. We got to find somebody who hasn't nose tapped. And I, I admitted to it last week again, like Peter under circumstances that were not normal. You're just doing it walking around like a normal human being. I'm doing it at home. (laughs) Well, I mean, Privacy of your home, own home is one thing. Have you done it in public? You've done it in public. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like uh, I talk to my watch in public. Yeah, I can't. Um, I don't go crazy with it, but like I will I will whisper the occasional thing, you know, like reply to a text message or something. I'll totally do that. Yeah, I, I do wish... Um, I do wish Siri could talk back, or at least it could be an option for it to talk back. So, you know, if you do Siri on your watch, it just gives you text back. And it's weird not hearing the device respond to you. Have you found that sort of strange or off-putting? Yeah, especially when it gives me some sort of funny response. Yeah, you're just reading it. It's like, you know. Yeah, it's it's like, it's not funny when you're not delivering it. Like, I know there's not an awful lot of comedic delivery <laughs> from Siri, but I don't know. It just feels weird to just be reading jokes back from the computer robot. I don't know. Robot I, or not, um, huh? Yeah, that's a different network. Um, so yeah, so thank you, Peter, for writing in. Uh, we wish you all the best. And, um, you know, maybe uh, maybe global warming will take care of you. So. Uh, that's all my follow-up, Mike. It's short and sweet this week. On that on that happy note, should we do, take our first break for this week? That'd be great. This week's episode is brought to you by Lynda.com, the online learning platform that has over 3,000 
3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. For a free 10-day trial, you want to head over to lynda.com slash connected, L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash connected. Lynda.com is for people that want to solve problems. It's for people that want to make things happen in their lives. It's for curious people like me. Maybe you want to learn to master Excel. Maybe you want to learn how to develop an Android app. Maybe you then want to make an Android Wear app. You know, there's been a bunch of news about that this week. Maybe you will watch the WWDC keynote next week and finally make that decision to plunge yourself into building an iOS app and you want to learn Swift and you want to learn iOS app development. You want to do all of that. Now is the time. Go to lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A dot com, and feed your curious mind. Let's say you've built that app, right? So you've gone, you've gone ahead. We're a couple of months down the line now, and you're still a happy lynda.com customer, and you've built that app that you've wanted. And then you decide you want to get it out there into the world. You can learn how to build a website. You can learn how to do the design for it. You can learn how to do the marketing. You can learn how to set up a business. You can learn how to do Twitter marketing, Facebook marketing, and work out how to buy all of the ads and that kind of stuff. You can do everything with lynda.com from start to finish it can help you build a business even you are able to watch and learn from top experts that are super passionate about teaching you can stream thousands of video courses on demand allowing you to learn at your own schedule at your own pace and from wherever you want to as well with their android and ios devices so you can learn on the go as well as watching in the browser on your computer as well and when you are watching there you can browse each course transcript as well so you can follow along or you can search for an answer and then skip right back to that point in the video. You can create and save playlists of courses you want to watch to customize your own learning path, and you can also share them with friends, colleagues, and team members as well. Your lynda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics, all for one flat rate. Whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or you just want to learn something new, I want you to go over right now and visit lynda.com connected and sign up for your free 10-day trial. Thank you so much to lynda.com for their continued support of connected and relay fm so we have a little bit of connected qa as topic zero so uh you want to uh you want to tackle this first one because i I don't have a good answer for the first one neither do i so this is from uh zavaloth on twitter if computers didn't exist what would you guys do for a living oh i i guess now right if you ask me right now i'd probably try and get into radio yeah, I mean, radio pre-existed computers, so yeah. I think I think intellectually your answer works. I think that's probably what I'd go for. Other than that, I would, I don't know, I, maybe theater or something. Now, like I've never, I've never been a, an actor of any kind, but I figured now I'm too used to doing things for entertainment. You know, mm. I'm too used to creating entertainment, so I would probably have to try and create something like that again. Uh, to be creative, and that's probably the only way I could do something like that, I think. Yeah. It's hard intellectually because you're saying that knowing what you do now, but the question doesn't specify, do computers suddenly go away? And so now you're like, oh, i got to find something else to do. Or, like, who you are has been shaped by the fact that you grew up with technology. And so it's it's hard to... It's a very tricky question. Very tricky. Uh, my best answer is something with my hands. So, like, uh, thoughts I had was, like, a like bicycle building or repair. You could play a trumpet. Um, I could play a trumpet. I'm not very musical. Um, but, like, I, I, again, like, 
to have computers just disappear to they never exist. Like I really enjoyed my time as like a hardware technician. And so I think doing something with my hands, taking things apart, putting them back together, some sort of repair or construction, um, I think would be, would get me by just fine. It's a good, it's a good question. I like that there was uh, intellectual ambiguity in it. It's, it's a good one. Good. And the next question comes from, I'm going to say Eaton, Eaton Shulman on Twitter. Um, what watch app do you wish existed? Uh, native ones. Ah, oh, uh, really? Is that the best you have for us? I really do. So uh, I, I've written about watch faces and glances on 512. I haven't written about the apps yet, but I'm really only using like three of them. And <laughs> there's not one that like I really wish I had that I don't have. I just... To me, the watch does what it does, and that's fine. But there's there's not like a gaping hole in my watch workflow. I don't know. What about you? My biggest one is Google Apps because I like to use Google Apps on my phone because I like to receive transit directions. That's my main thing. I've been hearing a lot of people talk about Apple Maps recently. Fundamentally, the main reason I cannot use Apple Maps is because I need transit directions. And Google, and the reason that I like to use one app for walking and transit directions is because I like to know how long it's going to take me to get from one place to another. Like I could go to a different app and I've tried other apps like City Mapper and stuff. I don't like them. I like Google Maps. It's very easy. And it also like has a better database and stuff. I just like going to Google Maps and doing all of that. But at the moment, then when I get to like I get off the train or whatever and then I want to walk places, I go to Apple Maps and enter the location in Apple Maps because I love love the Apple Maps integration on the Apple Watch. I think it might be my favorite feature. Like the oh, tapping the stuff. Little tapping the beep, 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 beep. Oh, it's turn. so good, man. It's just so good. Yeah, I, I like it too. Because my main thing is like, I still haven't 100% worked out what the taps mean, but like it just makes me look at my, like I'm basically no, oh, I better look at my wrist. You know, and I really, really love it. I've been, whenever I've been walking around London a few times over the last couple of weeks, like just going to places I've never been before or like just taking some directions that I'd never taken before. And the Apple Watch has just made it so easy because I always hated like walking around the streets with my phone out. Like, I just don't like that. Um, especially when you have a big phone as well. It's like cumbersome. You get to keep taking it out your pocket, putting it mm. away, keep that pocket, put Mike it away. Mike was wrong. It's frustrating. Nope, but Mike was says. right because now I have the best of both worlds. Yeah, you hear this? This is my six plus, right? <laughs> I mean, so I'm really, I, I really, really love it. But I would like to see Google Maps, but I don't think we'll get that until the native SDK because I, it's yeah. not going to be good enough. Otherwise. I think there's, I think that's a good example. Maybe the best example I can think of of an app that maybe they're waiting uh, until native apps. Maybe they're just saying, "Hey, you know what? WatchKit, we we can't do what we want to do, so we're just gonna." going to sit it out. Um, but I do like the Apple Maps watch integration. I, I drive a good bit during the week and, and some place, you know, sometimes to to places that I, I don't know where they are. So, you know, use directions around town and, and just the tapping and like be able to just glance at my watch instead of like fishing my phone out of the cup holder to see where my turn is and that sort of thing is really great. And I know not everybody uh, likes it, but uh, I saw some people on Twitter talking about that. But uh, I really do like that it that it mirrors what's on the phone. And, uh, you know, there's rumors that iOS 9 will bring transit directions. So maybe, maybe your answer will be, um, you know, will come in a different form than you expect. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I have heard that, but I reserve judgment because I'm just, 
I'm just not sure about it yet. Because Apple Maps walking directions can still be super wonky. So I don't know how I feel about transit, especially because we have complex transit here because we have lots of it, you know? So we have buses and trains and tubes and, like, national rail overground. And transit has to be exactly right. (laughs) Like Yeah, you can't mess that up. That has to be bang on. And in theory, you can make it exactly right because, at least in the UK, Transport for London holds all of that data. And they can license it in one big chunk. So we should actually be one of the easier places, I think, to to get a lot of that, especially in London, um, than maybe some other cities would be in the world. But that's what I'd expect anyway, because I know people license it to make apps. Yeah, that's uh, that's fair. It'll be interesting to see what Apple does with that. And you know, transit's not really a big thing for me here, but I could see that being a a really frustrating, you know, feature not to have if you if you depend on it. So, mm-hmm. um, so topic zero point five is that um, our friends at Microsoft have made another acquisition. Michael, they sure have. They bought Wanderlist. Yeah, which is um. A little surprising to me initially, but you know, upon thinking about it, it makes a lot of sense. And Federico wrote about it, I think, today or yesterday about they they acquired. Um, I assume it's actually Wunderlist, right? Not Wunderlist. I've just you realized live, you live closer to Germany than I do. Yeah, because the company's name is Six Wunderkinder, because you know W's are pronounced that way in Germany. Yes. Um, so I I assume that it's, it's Wunderlist, and we've been calling it Wunderlist this whole time. So I apologize to Six Wunderkinder and now Microsoft. Um, this is Microsoft. Like, <laughs> get out, get out now. I, I, you're going to be alone. <laughs> Fine, I, I will take it. I can monologue. Um, I think this is genius. This is a genius move. This is like Microsoft right now are doing some really exciting stuff. They are strengthening their cross-platform strategy. They are really digging deep on like making the office ecosystem i guess it would be kind of like stronger and stronger because i mean they bought a company and turned that into an office product effectively turned it into outlook but sunrise is still sunrise and it looks like at least for the time being wunderlist is going to remain wunderlist i'm going all in on that now um and and it, that makes sense right because a company didn't really have a brand behind it it was yeah. it was new, and I don't think a lot of people really used it. Uh, but these two, like Sunrise and Wunderlist, they do. They definitely do. And plus, there is less of a fit because Microsoft don't have a Office Calendar app and an Office Task app. So maybe in six months' time, they will rebrand them with these new. You know, we'll get like Microsoft Agenda and Microsoft Tasks. You know, as as brands, and they'll sit in the Office suite. But I think this is genius. They're acquiring uh, smart young, nimble companies that are experimenting and doing exciting stuff rather than trying to build this stuff internally. I think this is a genius move and it makes them stronger and stronger. It makes them much more exciting. And it's that, you know, they're buying companies that have strong iOS presences, strong Android presences, so they don't have to build three times. I just think uh, uh, this this new Microsoft that they've been like showing over the last few months, I just continue to be more and more excited by it. Uh, I totally agree, it, and I think you're right. It, it helps round out their sort of consumer stuff because they do have. I mean, it, I mean, Outlook and Exchange does calendaring, but not the way Sunrise does. And you could do to do list in Outlook and Exchange, but not the way that that Wunderlist does. So it's it's them moving more to the consumer market. You know, there's been a lot of talk about like Google's apps on iOS 
Uh, we'll talk about that today. Uh, but I think Microsoft, you know, they're they're doing a lot again cross platform. You know, going looking outside their own their own OSs to to bring services and applications, um, you know, to a bigger market. And that obviously makes a lot of sense because Windows Phone is is really little. But um, yeah, I hope I hope that they you know continue to let these guys do good work. It's a great app. Uh, we named it our our the best shared shared to do list on uh, on the Suite setup. I think last year. Um, and so yeah, really happy for those guys, and uh, we'll keep an eye on it. But I think it's, um, I think Microsoft can can handle this uh, and handle it well. So, good good times. So yeah, this is one of those Wall Street Journal reported stories. I think it said a hundred million or something. Um, and then I put it in the document, and then before, in between me putting it in the document and us starting the show, it from the list confirmed it, or six months ago confirmed it. So yeah. congratulations to them, like. That's a lot of money. It's <laughs> a lot of money. Um, would you sell to Microsoft for a hundred million dollars? Uh, me? I mean, all I can sell is half of Relay and five fill pixels. A hundred percent of that. I don't know if that's really in Microsoft's wheelhouse. Well, so. I mean, if Microsoft would like to give us a hundred million dollars, I think yeah. we would definitely entertain the idea. I, th- I think so. I mean. I, I would create probably. a Microsoft podcast for a hundred million dollars. <laughs> uh, I would sell out for a hundred million dollars. I just want to put that on the table. Yeah. See, now we're going to get emails from people who want a Microsoft podcast. Thanks. Well, they can have one. They Thanks just have to give me a hundred million dollars. That is my price for a Microsoft podcast. One hundred million dollars. We should just move on. Move on to receiving a hundred million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> this week's episode is brought to you by. OmniFocus. And when we come back from this, we're going to be talking to Russell Ivanovich about Google Photos. I just love OmniFocus. I My life is on OmniFocus. Without OmniFocus, I don't think I could get for a day anymore. Uh, like, we have some huge projects that we're working on right now. And I keep, like either waking up in the middle of the night or stopping dead in my tracks in the middle of like in the middle of a street and having a, just a thought of oh god I didn't do this I open OmniFocus I put it in there and then I don't need to worry about it anymore I just take things out of my brain and put them into OmniFocus and then they're just dealt with um, I do this on my iPhone um, I do this on my Mac I, I love the whole ecosystem there. There's been uh, a universal update recently for the iOS apps and now the iPad and the iPhone live together so it's just one universal app, and the i the, the iPad app is still really good for forecast, um, which is their like which is OmniFocus's system for being able to see what's coming up over the next few days, and you can do reviews and stuff of what's happening in your in your uh, task list. It's a really great feature. It's my favorite feature of OmniFocus is the forecast feature because it lets me see at a quick glance what tasks I've got coming up today, what appointments I've got coming up today so I can schedule tasks around them and I can see at a glance what's coming up over the next few days. It's great. And the iPhone's got it, the Mac's got it, the iPad's got it. It's just, I love that feature. But today I want to tell you a little bit more about OmniFocus for the Apple Watch. So one of the things that I've been doing now is I check what tasks I have on my Apple Watch. I can add items to my inbox just by dictation in the app on the Apple Watch, which is awesome, which is really good for when I'm walking down the street and I have that idea that I have to throw in there. It comes for free with the universal version of OmniFocus. It's just waiting for you to install if you have it already, so you can just 
install it now and be more productive on the go. It's a great way to get a glance of what you have due for today, what's upcoming, anything that's passed. Um, you can very quickly and easily get a glance, no pun intended, of what you need to take care of. They have a glance, they have an app, and I have them both. I, I like the glance as well because it tells me the next upcoming thing that I have. You can even check things off right from within the Apple Watch app as well. Continuity picks up the last perspective, context, or project that you were, in, um, that you were looking at on your iPhone. So it's make sure that you're always where you need to be. Um, the I just I love it. This is just something else on top of the system that I already love so much. And the awesome people Omni Group, I don't even know how they did this, have created a pretty much full functioning demo of OmniFocus on the Apple Watch on their website. So you can get a feel for how it works before you go and actually buy the universal version of OmniFocus and get the Apple Watch app. If you go to omnigroup.com slash omnifocus, you can play around with this demo. It's pretty fantastic. The Omni Group back all of this up with an amazing support team and they are so confident that you are going to love OmniFocus. They even offer a 30-day return policy. This is not something you see a lot of iOS app developers do at all, but Omni make it happen. So go and check out OmniFocus today. Go to omnigroup.com slash OmniFocus. Thank you so much to the Omni Group for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. So I'm so happy that we are now joined by Mr. Russell Ivanovich of Shifty Jelly, developer of the award-winging Pocket Cast. Hi, Russell. How are you? Hi, Mike. I'm just here uh, fondling my new award. Yes, you're in San Francisco right now, right? I am indeed. I'm finally almost in your time zone. Well, uh, <laughs> I don't know if it works like that. I think you're about the same distance away. You're closer to me. <laughs> Damn it. I fly across the world to try and get closer to your time zone and I just fail. You went, you just you overshot it just a tad. So congratulations. If anybody doesn't know, um, Pocket Casts was awarded a Material Design Award um, in the inaugural Material Design Awards at uh, Google I.O. So congratulations. Well, thank you. And if anyone doesn't know, probably uh, Chris and Phil really deserve the... Uh, the congratulations for that award, although I did help just a tiny bit. Take some of the take some of the credit. Yeah, okay. It's it's all me. I don't know who anyone. No one <laughs> else works for our team. It's a team uh, of one. No, it's it's well deserved. It's um podcast is 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 beautiful, and I've been playing with Android a little bit recently, and it's um it's kind of like my go to app when I think about material design in my brain. So good job, good job, uh, occupying my my mind space if you will. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so uh, we thought <laughs> we thought we'd cover uh, Google Photos today. So we have, a, of course... Because we have to. <laughs> yes, because we are the photo management podcast. Wait, wait, wait. I've got to stop you. If you cover this and it shuts down, I'm holding you personally responsible, you two. <laughs> the curse. If the curse can overcome Google Photos, then, uh, then we're doing something very right or very wrong. So at, at Google I.O. Uh, now last week... Uh, Google announced Google Photos, which more or less, and I want to get into this a little bit, more or less is what Google Plus did with Photos, but now it's sort of unbundled, uncoupled, because I think the Google Plus brand is not uh, in great standing. Um, so so kind of high level, what is, what's Google doing in this, uh, in this space, Russell? Okay, so pre-Google Photos, you had something called Google Plus Photos, which, like you say, was weirdly kind of embedded with the whole Google Plus social network. And I've been using that, I think, for at least a year now, just to, it does the auto-upload thing, all your photos go up, you know, they're all there. It creates weird little stories out of them and does animated GIFs and stuff. So I guess the new bit is they've broken it out into its own separate app, and they've added some really cool, I guess, I don't know what you call it, like categorization 
and you know like it recognizes people it recognizes places and it does all of this without you having to lift a finger so i was one of those users that you know used to go into iphoto and say yes this is me and yes this is my wife and you know we went here and try and geotag on my photos and all that so this does all of that for you which is just amazing just i mean we're going to jump around a little bit now because i have a question that i've been meaning to ask someone and i can ask you i'm uploading photos to google photos and i'll talk about that in a minute and it hasn't done any face detection do i need to do something no it's just magical so it it doesn't know the names of the people it it just so basically if i look at mine i see the people that i've taken the, the photos of most so my kids are number one and two and then there's myself and then there's my wife and there's a few other people you know a regularly stalk and take photos of of like philip and it, it doesn't know who those people are, but it knows every single photo that they're in and it just kind of auto-categorizes it. So I'll give you a creepy example. Someone was asking me for a photo of Philip the other day. You know, they're like, oh, we have to have a photo of Phil. So I just went in there, I clicked on his face and it literally showed me every photo that Philip's ever been in and I could find the one I wanted and, you know, send that off. Where in the UI is that exactly? Yeah, this is the weird part. So I couldn't find it for the first 30 minutes. It's, it's in the search button. So the second you hit search, you get people i think you get places and you get categories and you can just free text search as well yeah i only have places and things maybe it needs more data i don't know but i don't know people yet but anyway that's an aside that nobody else needs to hear um so there is some limits to what you can put in right because it's unlimited and limited is my understanding it's kind of a bit peculiar in the way that that that's broken down well, I guess if you use an iPhone 6 or a 6 Plus, it's effectively unlimited. You know, you have an 8 megapixel camera that is unlimited up to 16 megapixel and I think 1080p is the video limit. So that's all the iPhone takes as well. So even someone like me who has a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, a slightly better camera on my phone in the S6, um, it is, it is honestly better, I... but we won't get into that today. <laughs> <laughs> this is not so why it... we invited you onto this show. <laughs> yeah, I got that in there, didn't I? Thank you, Samsung, for my check later. Um, no, so that takes 16 megapixels photos, and it can take 4K video. So assuming you go the free route, it will actually downsample that 4K video down to 1080p. But I'm one of those people that pays, I think it's $12 a year to get, I want to say, 100 gigabytes of storage. So the cool thing about that, as I'm hoping this still works the same way, is if, when you go over those limits, that's the only thing that counts against your storage. So... I have about 120 gig worth of stuff in there, but I'm only being, I think, allocated for about 50 of it. Yeah, that makes sense to me now why, uh, it, like what it says my allocation is, seems way lower than, that you've just made sense to me, because my, my allocation is some really small number, but I know I have gigabytes of photos in there at the moment. And it's like, you're like 500 megabytes. I'm like, I don't understand what's happening here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's only the ones that go over that limit. And those limits used to be, they used to have the same thing. They were just far lower. I think originally it was, I want to say 2048 pixels across and the videos were, I don't know, maybe 720p or something, but they've, they've upped both of those. So I decided that I was going to kind of go in with this and just upload some photos because I saw the presentation and I thought it looked really interesting because there isn't really anything about Apple's solution that really made me want to jump. Like uh, there just wasn't anything there for me that I thought was compelling enough. Like I could already get to my photos. I have them all in Dropbox. Like I, I don't ever really look through them enough that like that would be the main reason because that kind of seems to be the main reason is you can have all of your photos wherever you want them i kind of have never really needed that 
it's never really been a massive thing for me. I always looked for other stuff. So like when I was using Everpix, I liked the flashback features and some of the categorization stuff that they did. So it was fun to use that. But the, my Dropbox solution has done a pretty good job and you can get apps that can let you turn Dropbox into like a, like, you know, you can get apps that put like a viewer in front of Dropbox kind of thing that we've spoken about on the show before. But I saw the stuff that Google was doing and I was like, that looks really interesting to me. Like yeah, the ability to like search without there being any tagging and it find things. I was like, I want to give this a go. So I've pointed like a few thousand photos at it so far. Um, and it's it's been sucking them up. That you, you have to The best way to do this, I've found, is to download this little Mac uploader, which you can get from the photos website. And it just sits there. You just tell it what files, what folders you want it to, to suck in. So I just pointed my Dropbox photos folder at it, pulled out some that I didn't want. And then it gives you this really weird dialogue about duplication in Google Drive. Because you can, Stephen, you you found this, I think, that you can sync them to your computer via Google Drive, right? Sort of. So it doesn't... So I did the same thing you did. I pointed it at a a folder with subfolders of images. And so you can can go into Google Drive on the web and there's like a um, add as a folder type guy and so it'll sync the photos back down but they're just it's just a flat structure there's no there's no organization or subfolders there so what i was thinking and what i was kind of hoping was it to be like dropbox so i could have local directories i could have full res copies you know locally in my machine and that just sort of get mirrored in the cloud but that's not really the way it works and and in hindsight of course you know google is very much a web first client second in, in many ways and so there's a sort of some of these edge cases you have to be aware of if you want if you want to use this um, uh, more like iCloud photo library, it's it's not really quite the same thing. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a little bit different to that. I mean, what, what I generally do is just once a month, I go to the Google takeout thing that they have and I just download, you know, a full backup of all my photos and then store that somewhere. Hmm. That's, that's a top tip. That's a top tip. It is It is a big download. I mean... If you don't have good internet, you know, good luck getting that. So I think I have, I want to say 35,000 photos in there at the moment. And I think the thing that amazed me the most is I could just search for anything. I could say, you know, show me pictures of the beach in 2012. Show me, you know, where I was at this particular day. And I did this funny one. I searched for Sydney Harbour and it found the Sydney Harbour Bridge in a picture of a picture. So I'd been to someone's house. I'd taken a picture of, Whoa. you know, some pictures that they'd taken. It actually, t- yeah, it's like, yep, yeah, that's the Sydney Harbour Bridge in it. It does, you know, some amazing stuff. Like just for a joke, I just search for, you know, pictures of sleeping, for example, and it shows you people sleeping, you know, pictures of babies. It shows you pictures of babies. And this is all you got to remember in your photo library that you haven't spent any time tagging. So I didn't have to go through and say, you know, this is a picture of someone sleeping. This is, I search for koala just for you guys as well. And that, that works as well because in my backyard, I have some koalas. <laughs> That's, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, you know, for someone who, like, I'm not going to be moving to this full time, but in thinking about it, I sort of view it as, you know, it could be a way to to have my photos backed up somewhere else and give me a different way to get into them where I could, you know, again, easily search. And I have, you know, folders and subfolders done by sort of event type or it's kind of a mix of events and people. And, you know, this would give me a way to search sort of across all of that stuff. And and the search really, I think, is the most impressive thing about this. Like you said, it's it's very very natural search like hey you know i went on vacation in 2008 like it knows when it was and it kind of knows where it is and it, it it really is like this is how google can flex its muscle 
over anyone else in the industry, I think. Definitely, if you want to look at, you know, what are the biggest differences between this and, you know, iCloud Photos, it's definitely that search and categorization that Google's able to do, you know, on a massive scale on their service. So I'll give you another example. I was doing a just an interview with someone just over email, and they said, you know, can you give me a picture of your setup at work? You know, what does your desk look like? So I just searched for a computer monitor, you know, scrolled down, there's my monitor at work, you know, with my Mac Pro next to it, and I just sent the guy the picture. Really handy. So this is the exact reason why I decided I wanted to sign up for this because I just think that that is so awesome. And and it doesn't get it right 100% of the time. Like sometimes I know there are things in there that it's not finding. But my, my feeling about this is the fact that it can do any of it is awesome. And the longer I use this, if if I really do you know want to keep using it, the better I know it's going to get, right? Just over time, this stuff will improve. But the th- I think the thing that has sub- that has impressed me the most right now is so I'm uploading my photos and I get a push notification every little while. We've made a collage for you, or we've made an animation for you, or we've made a collection for you. And these are just these awesome things. Or like they take a photo and they're like, we've enhanced it and they've just made it look more artistic or more like, or they, you know, corrected color or something. Or they'll say, hey, what about that time you went to San Francisco? And it's like showing me WWDC last year or it's showing me Atlanta and it picks up all the photos and puts them in this little um, story and it like breaks them up by day. Or it takes a selection of images that were taken like in quick succession and it turns them into an animation. And I know that this stuff has been around for a while, that like auto awesome, I believe it was called on Google+. Plus. Um, but yeah, that's what it was. It's so fantastic to, I think, to just get these little things that pop up every now and then. And look, I've had some weird ones. I've had ex-girlfriends and stuff appear, <laughs> but it's like I'm not going to blame Google for that because they have no, they they can't know that. So that's not an issue that I have. Mm, Actually, they probably do, but they just don't want to let me know that they know. Yeah, they don't want to turn that on. They don't want to <laughs> freak you out too much. But I, I found the same thing. So I've had this for for years now. So. Y- the best time, honestly, is when you go on a trip somewhere. Like you were saying, WWDC. Like I went to, you know, an island just off the coast called Kangaroo Island, and it it literally made like a photo book of mm-hmm. of my journey, which is something I used to love to get get home and do, like an iPhoto, and it did a really good job. Yeah, I'm I'm really. This is the thing that I'm most impressed with because it takes your photos and gives you little presents, like. It, it's like they give you little <laughs> gifts every now and then, and it's just nice. I, I like it. It's something that. It just adds a bit of playfulness. And this is part of like my overall feeling uh, about Google Photos, especially where it is right now, is this is not a professional, like, this is not a pro user's tool, right? Because no. the unlimited stuff is for lower quality stuff, right? Um, and, and or they will take your photos and they will down-res them a little bit, which I don't care about. But I know that there are loads of people that will, and that's fine. And then when they take your photos, they do fun things with them. Like, it, it, this is a consumer tool, and I am a consumer when it comes to photos. All of my photos are taken on my iPhone. Like, I'm totally happy with that. That's where they live. I, and and I'm, I'm... The way that I've got it is, at the moment, I'm still doing my automatic upload from my phone to Dropbox as I've done for years now, and then Dropbox sucks them in to Google Photos, and that works for me because it stays out of the way, and then I get all these other cool features. Yeah, no, that sounds like a good way to go, and I definitely agree. If you're someone with, you know, a digital SLR that takes 40 megapixel, you know, raw images, and, you know, you need to archive those because they're from, you know, weddings or whatever, this is not a tool for you. It's like you say, it's a consumer thing. It's for people like me. I go out... I take 99.9% of my photos on my phone 
and then I want some quick way to to have access to those. And it's just really cool that you know in the background without you worrying, they just all end up in a central place and a, a central place that is now searchable. You know, I didn't didn't have that two weeks ago. Right. Um, real quick before before we cut you loose, you know, there's been a lot of conversation, and there always is with Google, especially in the Apple sort of camp that uh, Google is going to do things with your data or they're going to, uh, you know, your kids are going to end up on a on a, an ad somewhere. And, uh, you know, there's this really interesting article, if you guys saw it, um, over on Medium. Federico linked to it on Mac Stories a couple of days ago that talks about this. And, and basically the it's with the head of streams, photos, and sharing at Google, it basically sort of sums up, Mike, your your sort of stance on Google over the years of like, yes, they have access to a lot of data about me, but I get all these great things back. And I think you even just said that with the photos, like, you know, they can do all these little things and you get, um, you know, all these really nice tools and stuff at, at your fingertips. But there is a, there's a part of, uh, of me and, I, and I'm using Google photos and I will continue to use it, uh, as just, like I said, another window into my photo library, but does that sort of stuff, you know, make you guys think, differently about about using this or is it something that doesn't is not really a, a concern or, or maybe it is a concern but not an important one kind of what are y'all's thoughts on that so i mean my take on that is that you know we as part of what i do like i run servers i know where files go i know how cloud hosting works so any company that you're going to use that involves any sort of hosting you have to implicitly trust them so you have to trust dropbox you have to trust apple you have to trust google and if that's not you know something that you're comfortable with then that's you know that's fine but i mean for me personally i i really do you know put a lot of trust in google i don't mind if their algorithms go through my email i don't mind if their uh, you know algorithms go through my photos because i know at that scale you can't have a, a human being sitting there and going oh yes interesting you know what what did russell talk about today you know page 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 it's it's just not a thing that worries me and i mean if it is something that that worries you personally then that's you know that's fine. You you don't have to use it. Yeah, I I feel the same, and I also you know I I I've spoken about this on upgrade recently. I I feel utility in this stuff, and it's even like in the interview, uh, Bradley Horowitz is talking about like, you know, let's say for example in the future they find some way that they're happy with, uh, about to to give this data in some form to companies and they're like let's say tesla need to make a product recall they can contact you directly because they they can find out you own a tesla like because the, because of your photo data and he's saying look and we have the proper controls and checks and all that kind of stuff in balance and to make sure it's all okay and that the user's fine with it and you know he's speaking kind of I, I, it sounds like a little off the cuff but it probably isn't but you know the idea of like that of course they'll make sure that people know what they're doing right because this is this is the type of thing that if google got silly about the company would shut down because they would be taken through every single court on the planet right if they just start selling people's photo data like you know <laughs> there's kind of there is a there is a way to do this properly and i believe that they would do it properly and you know the people have been saying that this is like and I think Google have said this as well. This is Gmail for photos, and I am so on board with that as a as an idea for what this is. It just feels like that. This is just like 
doing for photos what Gmail did for email. It's just it's like a, just an end-to-end solution. It's simple, and you have unlimited storage. I am finding something weird at the moment. It's probably to do with my setup where for some... I don't understand what's happening. On my phone, on my iPhone, I'm seeing duplicate photos, but not on the web. So something as weird is happening on my iPhone that I need to diagnose. Uh, but I think that's because I kind of have my photos rooting in mm-hmm. and out again. But I'll work that out later. But they look... It's perfectly fine on the, on the Mac. But I'm, I'm excited about this. Uh, I, I'm happy that there is a simple solution that I get utility out of from a company that is not going to shut this down. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm the same. I just hope that yeah, the curse of connected doesn't strike again, because well, I mean, you guys are a bit infamous for this. In you know, <laughs> that is a a long running joke of the show. But there was a point of this, Stephen, that I I saw. I think you make on Twitter this week where somebody was like, "Oh, but Google have a history of shutting stuff down," which they do. Yeah. So someone asked me that, um, and like, and people always say, "Well, like Google Reader is like, yes, yeah, like Google does do that, but." I wouldn't worry about that with photos. I mean, photos is is a need that everybody has. Like, only we care about RSS services. Um, I think this is clearly something here to stay. Um, Not only because everyone has photos, but especially if, you know, um, if you can install it on iOS or Android or on Android, if it's automatic, where I can just have my photos backed up to this thing automatically, like, that's going to be such a value to so many people. I, I, I really... I don't remember, and I don't remember who tweeted. A couple of people did actually. I, I don't really worry worry about that with with Google stuff. Yes, they they shut stuff down sometimes, but it's a they always give you a way to get your data back. Uh, their Google Takeout is really good, and it's uh, it's I think it's sort of uh, too big and too important for them to brush this aside in in two years. Um, because I think there was something that you said which I liked, which is like photos are just. They are part of every big company, right? Every, I mean, uh, you know, Apple has has their photos platform. Google has theirs. You can do stuff with OneDrive, with Microsoft. Dropbox, of course, has Carousel. I mean, any any uh, any big uh, Amazon Photos. I mean, any big like platform company you can think of is doing something in this space. They they can't they can't afford not to at this point. So uh, I would uh, I wouldn't let that worry your your sweet head. Yeah, I, I think that's the same. I think that. You know, as integral as you know, email is to our lives now. I think photos has become the same thing, and I think you know, big companies like Apple, Google, Microsoft, you know, Dropbox—they all realize that. I, this is definitely not some you know twenty percent project like Google Reader was. So I think this is here to stay, you know, for the long run. Russell, thank you so much for joining us. Um, where can people find you on the internet? They can find me in San Francisco. Come and say hi while I'm here. But uh, seriously, you can find me Rust- at Rusty Shelf on the Twitters. And you can see stuff about our company at shiftyjelly.com. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. No, thanks for having me. Right, let me just take a uh, last break for today. And then we can get into talking about some WWDC predictions before we head into the keynote on Monday. This episode is also brought to you by Hover the best way to buy and manage domain names. It's my place of choice, has been for years. I just love Hover. Like, if you want to buy a domain name, I don't know why you would go anywhere else. Like, they make it so easy. You just go to Hover.com. You've got an idea for a project. You've got an idea for a website. You've got an idea for a joke you want to play on a friend. I buy so many domains for that reason. It's kind of ridiculous. You could just go there. 
you type in what you're looking for, either the full domain or some words or some keywords or something like that, and they will show you what's available. If it's there, you can just buy it straight away. They have .coms, .co, .me. They have all the crazy new TODs like .academy, .fish. Um, they have all kinds. You just you name it, Hover have got it. They have a 200 TOD options with .com starting at 12.99, for example. So once you search for it, they'll either say you can buy it if it's available, or they'll show you all of the ones that are available, or they'll show you some variations. Let's say nothing's available at all. None of the domains you want to get are there. Then you've typed in some words into hover.com. They will show you some variations on it. They have some super smart domain robots that do all of that calculation in the background, and then give you some suggestions. And a lot of them are very smart and almost like way better than you would expect from these types of services. Usually it's like they just say free X or new X, but Hover do some smart stuff to try and work out to give you a good domain, to give you some good options there. Maybe it helps spark off some other ideas as well for some other avenues to pursue. Um, all of Hover's domains include who is privacy for free. Now, this is so important. If you don't have who is privacy on your domain names, people can find out your personal information that you have to register with ICANN. You don't want people to know this. So if you have who is privacy, it just blocks that. And Hover included it for free. I bought a domain a couple of weeks ago at Hover and noticed that they actually check the box. Like you don't even need to check a box. You don't even miss it. They check a box for you. For you not to get who is privacy, you have to uncheck a box, which is kind of crazy. So you'd never do that. So don't do it. I love that they do it for you. Hover have fantastic support. They have a no hold, no wait, no transfer telephone support policy. If you pick up the phone and call Canada, which is where Hover is, you give them a call. You will speak to somebody automatically on the phone. You just pick up the phone and say, hi, how can I help you? And they'll help you. You don't have to be transferred to like 25 different supervisors. They'll just help you. But if you prefer communication via email, they have great support as well via email, which I've used a bunch. They also have great uh, documentation and guides on their website in case you just want to in case you know how to do this stuff, you want to check something yourself, you can do that. Or you can do what I did where, oh, I know what I'm doing and I know how to do uh, domain forwarding on my own. That's not a problem. I'll just go in and do that. Oh, I know how to do uh, transferring from another provider. I can just do all of that. No, because if you're me, you'll just get something wrong. And then when you do get something wrong, you can contact their email support team and they'll be like, oh, you just need to change this thing. I'm like, oh, I knew that. It was just testing you. They're really good with that sort of stuff. They can help you out. But do you know what I should have done? I don't know why I didn't do it this way. Instead of trying to transfer the domains on my own, I should have just used Hobbs Valet service. It take all of the hassle out of switching from your current provider because they'll just do it all for you. Don't try and pretend you're a smart guy like me. Just use Hobbs Great Valet service. They have so much other great stuff as well, like volume discounts, uh, for bulk domain renewal, they have custom email addresses, storage and forwarding, and so much more. So you want to go over to hover.com and try them out for yourself right now, and you want to use the code dubdub, D-U-B-D-U-B at checkout, everybody hates me, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase at hover.com and show your support for Connected and all of Relay FM. That's code dubdub. Thank you so much to Hover for sponsoring this week's episode. So, so let's talk about dubdub, huh? Uh, please stop. So we want to do some WWDC predictions. Can I start? Yes, you please go first, and then I am going to play. I'm going to read Federico's and simultaneously pull his apart as I read them. It's going to be great. Yeah. So whilst Federico couldn't be here, he he provided us with all of his uh, uh, predictions, but I have some of my own that I wanted to just get out there because one day I'm going to get something right, and then it's going to be awesome. So the only like the only really strong one for me is I think that we're going to see a complete overhaul of notifications. Um, I think that 
today widgets will be you know they'll be more powerful there will there'll be some rethinking and some extending and what they can and can't do uh, i think that we're going to see notifications overhauled in general like better and more actionable notifications uh, maybe more button choices more stuff that can be activated about having to open the app to do it right it can just be done and it happens in the background maybe as well allowing messaging apps to use the quick replies um, like so slack could use that for example which would be awesome uh, I think that we're going to see better notification settings for apps. I spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, like the global settings stuff. I think we're going to see that. Um, and also some more APIs for allowing granular notification support to help enhance the Apple Watch. So you could have certain uh, notifications sent to certain places and you could choose those in your apps of choice. Uh, I think we are going to see a music streaming service. Um, I think that's going to be a thing that happens. And that's going to be great. I think that's a pretty obvious one. I think we're only going to see an Apple TV announcement if there'll be some content deals as well. Some like additional cool stuff that we're going to see on stage or just stuff that nobody really cares about, but they're going to do it anyway. Like, you know, they're going to get some more streaming services or something like that. I think we're going to see some more of that kind of stuff that goes along with it. Maybe there'll be some big video games or something. But I think that Apple TV will come with some other flashy presentations or announcements. Uh, and, but I think the thing that will get the most on-stage time at this keynote is going to be watchOS 2.0. I think out of OS 10, iOS, and the watchOS, I think that they're going to devote the most time to showing us the new features of 2.0 and also some examples of the types of apps that can be built with the native SDK. Uh, I agree on both points. You know, notifications have always been vaguely frustrating on iOS. And and now you know you can re- if you're an iMessage you can reply and you can dictate or type right into the the notification drop down little guy but you can't if it's something like Slack or um or email or something like that so it's uh, I do agree it's it's sort of time to to open that up a little bit more and you know I think overall you know people say they want like universal VIP which I don't think is really possible I mean how does how does iOS know, you know, Mike, you're an email VIP. How do they tie that to Twitter and Slack and all these other services? But I do think a more common, more, you know, uh, powerful way to to break these things down into sort of bite-sized chunks makes makes a lot of sense. Well, I think some of the universal VIP stuff comes from, like, don't have, uh, like, a friends list on the watch and VIPs and, and that kind of stuff. Like, give me, uni- unify that at least, you know? Right. Um, we'll see. Uh, obviously, Watch OS is going to get a lot of time. They they have basically already said uh, that native apps will be you know part of the of the keynote uh, on Monday. Uh, so yeah. So I think I think that's all. I think those are probably two really safe safe bets. Um, Federico had that stuff. Um, you know, uh, you know access to the sensors and hardware, which Apple said the SDK will have um, uh, that, that sort of thing. Apple will make it easy to migrate from WatchKit to WatchOS SDK. I'm not so sure he's right about that. I don't think Apple really cares if it takes you more time to rewrite your watch app. Especially um, if they announce it now for like the full. I think that's definitely the case. I think it's definitely alongside iOS 9 uh, in the fall. Um, you know, uh, it's interesting that he he doesn't think there'll be a native SDK for the Apple TV. Like that seems like something that they would definitely do because of games. 
yeah, I think so. It, you know, and and maybe you know, games. You know, on iOS, games have always had like weird status where like they can run like non, they can run like code bases that aren't Apple. And there's always this like weird muddy water with games, and that may continue to be the case on the watch. I have yet to find a reason that I would want to play a game on my watch, but maybe I'm the minority there. Um, so, so yeah, so uh, watch apps for sure. You know, watch OS 2.0 or whatever, whatever it'll be called for sure. Um, you know, new OS 10, San Francisco font showing up on iOS and OS 10. How do you feel about that, by the way? Uh, I'm not thrilled they're changing it again on the Mac, or you know that it's rumored. Um, I do think San Francisco is really nice looking and real, you know, really easy to read, which I would appreciate. Uh, uh, you know, uh, like I said, it's weird that if they do it, that Yosemite is the only version of OSN that was using Helvetica for the system font. But I could see why Apple wants to do it, and for a company that cares about every single detail, um not having their own typeface in their UI has always seemed strange to me. So it seems like it's time. It just like, why didn't you do this a year ago? Like why did you, did you always know Helvetica was going to be a stepping stone in OS 10? Or did you not think San Francisco was going to be ready? You know, or what, what I think actually happened if the watch was actually supposed to ship in the fall and it slipped, my guess is that, that Yosemite was supposed to use San Francisco Ooh, initially that's and that, i was just thinking like why did they do it that is it, smart and when they couldn't ship the watch they didn't want to tip their hand with the font or with the typeface and so they went with helvetica as a stand-in which is fine like i as my i have a laundry list of problems with yosemite's ui helvetica is not on that list i, I really like it as a system font for the most part uh so maybe maybe they were just sort of backed into a corner with the timing um because, you know, it's a lot of moving parts, right? Like, you're not going to hold off your OS X redesign because your your watch isn't ready to ship. So, um, Federico also says, and I agree, more iCloud Drive presence in the Finder. Right now you have that in the sidebar, but it's sort of janky and, like, it's hard to understand why it's different. And it's hard. My big problem is it's hard to understand sync status of anything. I think it's just they need to continue to make that clearer uh, what is going on in iCloud Drive. What's there? What's not? What What is the state of this document or this folder? Um, and he says Siri and Control Center come to OS ten. You know, uh, it'd be nice. I don't know if this is the year or not. I don't know why you would need Control Center. I don't know what it would do for you because you have the menu bar and you have media keys on your keyboard that basically cover things like Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, you know, power stuff, volume. But um, Siri, I think it, it's probably time. There have actually been times where I wish I had Siri on the Mac if my hands are full and I could just say, you know, ahoy computer phone and, and have Siri do something for me. But um, the I'm going to come back to iOS, if that's okay. Federico, is that okay with you? Oh, oh we can't answer. Uh, C, C, he said C. <laughs> so uh, he says other stuff. He says Swift 2.0. You know, I don't know if it's like air quotes 2.0, but I think Swift will see... If not keynote time, I think definitely time in the State of the Union, which if you're not familiar with this, the State of the Union is the keynote Apple gives um, Monday afternoon, uh, sort of after the public keynote, there's a break, and then State of the Union, it's available to uh, um, developer members, so I'm a member, so I, I can watch this on my iPad later, and it's sort of a... I think it's, it's everyone now, though. Last year, that was one of the videos that anybody could watch. Was it? Okay. Yeah, it was. Um, 
But uh, so anyway, so the State of the Union is a it's sort of half. We are unpacking the keynote into more detail. And like this is some of the technical stuff going on behind the scenes. I mean, the keynote is designed for everybody. This is sort of one step closer to like you're in a, you know, in an actual WWDC session. Yeah. When we watched it last year, it was the first time I've ever watched it. There are parts of it that I thought were really interesting. There are parts of it where I wanted to blow my brains out. Because for me, it was like, oh my God, he's writing code on stage. I don't understand what is happening. <laughs> and it was horrible. And they're watching it in the room with people that understood it. Like, oh, look at that. And I'm like, oh, it's just words. Words I don't even understand. Yeah, so I think um, I think Swift might show up uh, there. I think it probably actually will. Um, new remote app for the Apple Music Service and Apple TV. Uh, yeah, maybe. Um Demos of iWork apps, like oh, maybe I don't know if they're going to do much with iWork or, or quote well, uh, what's extensions left of extensions in iWork apps is what he's saying. Oh, oh, I can read. Yeah, yeah if they do extensions, um, uh, and then new parental controls in the iOS, uh, in iOS and the the Mac app store, which I think is is definitely huge. Um, I think overall we've talked we've talked at great length on this show about. The problems of the app store. You talked a lot about it on behind the app. You know, I definitely would like to see this sort of like curated um, idea get spread to the app store and and better control and and all this stuff. I think you know WWC is the time for Apple to do this. It's kind of like if if this stuff doesn't happen next week, it's going to wait for a year. Like Apple's not going to roll out. I don't think a large app store change in October, right? Like this is the time to have everyone's attention. And everyone's sitting there looking at the stage. This is when you make those announcements and when you make those changes. So some of this stuff, if we don't see it, it's just it's not in the cards for you know 2015, 2016. So, um, anyways, uh, you want to go through some of this iOS stuff? I feel like I've been rambling. iOS, iOS nine. Yeah. So uh, one of the main things that that Federico I know really wants, and I'm. Not convinced we'll see it demoed at WWDC is iPad multitasking, so like split screen views or some additions to the iPad which show it's great for multitasking. I think that it's possible, but I think that they might wait until the next iPads. Who knows? But it would be nice to see it there. Um, I wonder if the Mini will get that stuff. I don't know. Like depends on what they're going to do but it would be it'd be interesting to see something like that make me might make me want to use my ipad in in different sort of situations you know because it kind of will bridge the gap a little bit more say i want to do some research or something and write some notes because i would just like to be able to do that um, it might be nice to be able to do it on an ipad or something do you think we're going to see that i think if we do it's going to be sort of like the uh, split view controller stuff where like very clearly Apple is putting things in place because there's going to be a bigger phone, but they can't say there's going to be a bigger phone. And so it may be that like if you sort of put the pieces together in all the sessions, like this is clearly coming. But I agree with you. I, I have a tendency to think that uh, this might be one of those things where it's it's sort of held for later unless iOS 9 is not as wide reaching as um, some people we know might like it to be. And this is sort of like the big feature at that point, I think we see it on stage, but I think it just kind of depends on the positioning of it. Uh, a home app to manage HomeKit devices, I think that's 
pretty solid now, especially today. Saw a bunch of people reporting. Federico had another write-up about this. He writes a lot at the beach. That's that's what I've learned today. Um, that there's there are some HomeKit devices now popping up. Um, so that's that's the thing that's happening. Uh, so there will probably be more about that on stage. Um, keyboard tweaks, including a re- redesigned shift key. I don't know about the shift key. I don't. They've done it for two years, right? Yeah, like, I feel like you're kind of all in on it now. Unless Apple were looking for like a quick cheer on stage. Yeah, like hey, we redesigned the shift. Yeah. And then a fist pump guy jumps up. You know. If fist pump guy jumps up for the shift key, then we greatly um, underestimated the uh, the power of the shift key design. Um, we have I've seen people saying about this like a Google Now type type Siri, um, so it's more visual and spotlight based, and this would come along with as Federico is mentioning like uh, initial Siri and spotlight APIs because you'd be able to tie backwards and forwards for them, um, which would make sense, you know. To I think it would be interesting to see that. I don't know what Apple would be able to do here because they're not Google. Um, and they just don't have the data that Google has to be able to build Google Now. Yeah, unless this is searching just what's on device. Um, that seems like it would take a lot of power, processing power to do. That seems like a very Apple thing to do. Uh, or it may be that, you know, that it, it may be the time where they say, look, if you have iCloud and you want the stuff, you can log into it. But maybe it's only... Um, maybe it's only if you have iCloud and not not if you use Gmail or Google Apps like we do or something like that. So I, I agree with you. Like this would be really nice. And there's a lot of things about Google now that I really like, but I don't know if Apple has like the keys to the car with this sort of stuff because they because of their stance on this stuff. Um, I, I don't know. It'd be great, and it, it would be great if Siri could like go to the next episode. Uh, you know, the next download episode in Overcast, for for instance. And so that sort of stuff, I think, is more likely than a Google Now type thing because I just don't know how Apple solves the data problem. It's, yeah. it's, it's, I, it I seems don't know how insurmountable it. almost. I mean, I feel like, you know, if they did have some API stuff, you could have apps like throwing information out for Apple to collect. Even in that instance, it still feels like it would be very simplified because it's going to be like that. I would be very interested to see if they're able to pull something like this off. I feel like this would be something that Apple would do to try and catch up to Google, but Google will always be ahead in this because this is just what Google do. This is what they make, you know? They they make little robots that search inside of information and present it to you in different ways. <laughs> Um, but it does feel like it's something that Siri should be doing because Cortana does a little bit of this kind of stuff as well. So it's time for Siri to pick up this kind of intelligence. Um, enhancements to the Mail app, which include extensions on iCloud Drive. This one Please. feels like it has to exist. Um, not that I care because I use third-party Mail apps, but this one needs to, to exist in, in, in Mail.app. It's kind of ridiculous that it wasn't there already. Um, it's a couple of quick ones. New health app visualizations. Yeah, I, I suppose they'll do more there. Find my watch, which you know they have to find my iPhone on the watch. Find my watch would make a lot of sense. Um, Beats music streaming with popular celebrity DJs. Maybe this might be like Tim Cook's celebrity moment. You know, <laughs> he 
here is the DJs that we're talking about this week. I do think we're going to see the music stuff. Um, so I've actually thought a lot about this today. In, in thinking about, you can think about WWC in two ways. You can think about it being the developer conference where you know Apple does things like unveil Swift, you know, like they did last year, and they showed code during the keynote, um, on stage. And I think that's the primary like way that I think about WWC. Maybe because I'm there and I'm friends with a bunch of developers and I care about that stuff. But, you know, WWC is one of Apple's only like media times throughout the year. And so something like the music streaming service, if that is like a completely consumer oriented uh, not open to developers type thing, and so I, I wonder, like, do they show it now, or do they, or is this? What I'm increasingly thinking is, does this get bundled in with a phone announcement in the fall? You know, Apple for a long time did the music events in like September and October, kind of flip flopped and move around over the years with iPods, and they they still do some of that. You know, they had uh, Bono and Tim Cook doing the weird finger thing, which I'm now doing with my two hands, uh, and I feel weird maybe maybe beats and stuff maybe that gets pushed to to the fall you know when when it's more of a consumer focus i don't know and, and they could do this on monday and it not be weird at all but I, I just i have this like feeling that it might not be next week and it, it might be in the fall instead no i think that if uh if apple are really going for bug fixes and stability improvements then that's why they do the music streaming service because they have a user facing feature to talk about wwdc yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, uh, maybe. I mean, there's that that has just as much possibility of happening as as my thing. I think. I think it's yeah, but also people are saying, and the rumors are that this launches before the next iPhone, and if they wait for the new iPhones, that's longer than the new iPhone. Because yeah. the, the like the the redesigned music app is in eight point four, right? Which assumedly we're going to see next week. So, yeah. um, Federico has also said that there could be a workout app. Um, on the iPhone with workout types that are supported on the watch. I don't know. I feel like maybe, but I feel like that would be taking away a a, a feature. Agreed. That the watch has. You, you're taking away less of the watch's reason to exist if you put the workout app on the iPhone. I, I agree. And I think it's, you know, I really like having the activity app. So if you have a watch, um, activity app shows up on your phone automatically and it has got the rings and you can look at the, you know, uh, awards and everything and i really like that app and i actually really like the way it looks it's like the first app with a dark ui that i've i really have ever liked on ios um but i i i have a tendency to agree with you that like showing activity on the phone is a is a status report right it's showing me what i've done so if my watch is not on me i can kind of see where i am throughout the day but it's sort of a it's a read only type thing. I can't I, you can't go into activity as far as I know and like manually enter a workout. You have to do that on the watch. And so I don't know, like why would you take the sort of one of the primary things of the watch and bring it to the iPhone at least so early? Like I could see this making sense down the road. But I think right now it's still really early in this in this product's life, and I don't know if you want to take out a big, um, you know, a big leg out of it out of its out of its stool quite yet. So. Last couple of things are some changes to the extensions that go beyond the share sheet. So, you know, like having them on the copy and paste menu, for example. Maybe Force Touch will be something that brings this in in the next uh, devices. And, you know, leading in and touching on what we were talking about with Google Photos earlier, better faces and places support in the Photos app for iOS. 
uh, yep, I think I think I think in a lot of ways there's a lot of work to be done in photos on iOS. Like if you have uh, iCloud Photo Library and you open the Photos app or the Photo Picker, your phone basically just sits there for eight seconds, ten seconds while it is doing something. Hopefully, um, and, and, you know I think this is one of those weird things where photos sort of came out mid-cycle, and I feel like there's a lot of rough edges still in in the iOS implementation of it. So I, I think that photo, I think photos is going to get pretty constant attention for a while till they get all this stuff worked out. So thank you, Federico, for sending us in your list. And I like that, you know, because he's not here, we can just go, nope, not happening. <laughs> yeah. So the, uh, we, we didn't talk about the, the Apple TV thing. Um, I, I do tend to think that new Apple hardware is on the horizon. I, I think that it will come hand in hand with either a native SDK or Apple's web TV service. Like, the the so the the Apple TV is basically an A5 I think it's 1080p um I've got one it it's it's a fine little box I mean it, it can be it's it can be buggy but the hardware seems it, it does what it needs to do you know it's it could be faster but it's not I don't want to like hit it with a hammer every time I use it so I I don't know what they gain from like releasing hardware now and it being another six months, another three months, another nine months until there's software to kind of like use the additional hardware. So my thought is when Apple TV gets a refresh, it will be hardware and software at the same time. And my guess is that some software will only be only be uh, tied like to that hardware. So, hey, the Apple TV, uh, web TV streaming service thing is out and you have to have a new Apple TV to play it because the, as Joe still points out in the chat room, the only single core A5 thing ever built can't run it. So that that to me is seems like a lock and step type thing. And I don't think that's next week. I think a lot of people want it to be next week, but I don't think it is. Um, I think there's not enough smoke to prove there's fire there quite yet for me. Um, and I think... So you think no new Apple TV? I think the Apple TV will go... Uh, I think it will go, if it is mentioned, it would be very minor. I don't think there'll be a revision. I don't think there'll be a software update. We'll see. The The first 30 minutes will be about the Apple TV now because I've said that. Um, I think the other hardware thing to consider is the Mac Pro, which was has been out for almost two years now. Um, or maybe no two years since they announced it, and then like about a year and a half maybe since they shipped it. Maybe someone in the chat room can correct me on that. It's been a while. It has not had a a, a hardware update, and I'm not. I don't follow the Xeon Intel drama as close as as Marco does. Um, so I'm not even sure if a Mac Pro update is possible at this point. But it does feel like that thing is maybe time, you know, for some sort of of revision to the Mac Pro, even if it's the same. Uh, chips, you know, GPU, or con- at least a configuration change. Uh, it just seems like that that's gotten a little stale again. And if there's any time to do a Mac Pro update, it is at WWDC. So I would like to see them do something with that. Cool. That's it. Uh, iPod Shuffle, yes or no? Oh, definitely. No? Definitely. You heard it here first, and probably only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be good. I think that's about it. Right, so we'll be there next week. We'll be recording uh, on Tuesday. Yes. Um, as from normal. From our hotel room. From our hotel room, yep. And so you'll be able to hear that. We'll have coverage on Upgrade uh, on Monday. 
Um, so if you want to hear mine and Jason's opinions uh, a couple of hours probably after the keynote, we'll, we'll have that up on Upgrade and then we'll uh, be ready for some more considered thought after thinking about things, finding out some more information. We'll be talking more about it on Tuesday uh, on Connected. So you can tune in. We're going to have a bunch of coverage next week. Which I think you'll really enjoy. it will be a few of us there, a few of the team, uh, the Relay uh, people are going to be in San Francisco, so we'll have some stuff there, and and hopefully we'll be able to provide you with uh, some great coverage next week of WWDC. So I hope that you'll tune in and keep it keep it locked to Relay FM. We've got some great stuff coming uh, that I think you guys are going to love. If you want to find our show notes for this week, uh, you should head over to relay.fm/connected/forty-two. Um, probably at that page, you will find uh, the answer to everything. Um, I think is is that something about 42, right? About answers and questions and that kind of thing. If you want it, you can find it there. Uh, thanks again to our sponsors this week, our good friends over at Linda, OmniFocus, and Hover. If you want to find myself online, I'm at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Stephen is at ISMH. Our absent co-host, um, who is probably buried in sand right now, is at Viticci, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. Federico writes at maxstories.net and Stephen writes at 512pixels. Dot net and I host a cavalcade of shows at Relay.fm, of which this show is a part. So, thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Adios.